Uh, if you're a visitor, we always like to greet you at the beginning of a sermon and uh, kind of get you up to speed as to what we're doing. Uh, we're going to begin the book of John again in the fall. Uh, this summer, we've been doing a series on the book of Psalms. And uh, we've been looking at book two of Psalms. And uh, we've been spending a lot of time in, in the 50s. And uh, in fact, uh, um, the 50s are kind of difficult to preach straight. You won't see a lot of commentaries, a lot of uh, uh, sermons on the 50s, and except for 51. We're familiar with that one. Because in a lot of ways, um, it, it's hard to relate to some of the things that David is saying because of, of the issues he's dealing with uh, in his own rise to power as a king and God disciplining him, uh, him learning uh, what it means to live by faith and to trust God as the king. Um, but we're going to see the relevance of it here in a moment. But uh, I want to say something before I start looking at the text. Um, sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't. But especially when I think it's a difficult text, to get you all ready to think about what we're doing here. Okay. Uh, so this past week, I had the opportunity to talk to, to two very uh, in, influential ministers in our denomination. Uh, men who are very gifted. And uh, I about, spoke to both of them as, as we talked. Uh, they, were, they were kind of discouraged. Guys, are, they're, I think, much greater communicators, more gifted than I am, for sure. And, uh, and so uh, kind of the, um, the lament was, well, is our preaching really hitting home to people? Are people really being changed by the preaching of the gospel? Uh, one pastor, he's a great minister, he's like, I, we, we just don't see that many conversions. And he says, I pray for revival. I pray that lives would be changed. And, uh, and of course, I reminded them both, well, the Word of God is living to those who are hearing the gospel. It must be accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God who is the one who determines where His Word goes and where it takes fruit. He is the one who prepares the heart, Right? But as, I, as I was thinking about that this week, I began to think of the different challenges that, uh, that we have as ministers in our culture today. And I, want, I just want to throw a couple out, and then we'll look at our text. Now, l- listen, the challenge is a lot different than maybe a couple of hundred years ago, where I'm not running for my life. I'm not going to get burned at the stake. I'm not going to probably be too persecuted for what I believe. But there are other challenges, because the minister wants to connect Christ with his people in such a way that it's transformative. I mean, my responsibility as you as a pastor is that you know Christ and that it is reflected by your life being lived out in faith in the resurrection of Jesus in such a way that you do live here in your salt and light. Now, what are the challenges that we have? Well, I was just going to name a couple of them, and I think you'd agree with me. And, and uh, One is, is the fact that we live in a culture uh, that is very Im- impacted by mass communication. Uh, I read the book uh, 1992 by Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Discourse in the Age of Entertainment. If you've never read it, you ought to read it. Now, this was before the Internet. And he said one of the things that's difficult in our culture today about communicating is once the telegraph came and video came and the television came, all of a sudden everything is connected and there is no space to think about what we're looking at. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that was for the Internet and the cell phone. In fact, I guarantee you, since I've been in here, some of y'all looked at your cell phones. 
And if it's looking at the text, that's fine. But you know, or you're just going, man, I just don't know if I can go one hour without figuring out what's going on in my life or what's going on in the world. And so there's no space. So it's garbage in and garbage out. Now, how am I supposed to compete with that? Secondly, uh, we live in a culture that's uh, very affluent. If you're a teenage kid, like you're 10, 11, 12, 13, you're 10. I know that's not teenage, but you do have cell phones at 10 years old now. I hope not. But, but so, so we live in an affluent culture. So basically, you're in control of your life to, to a certain extent until it all falls apart. And we're going to look at that. Right? So if, if, if the effects of the fall and sin uh, that was really much more devastating than we realize, uh, if it begins to kind of nibble at the edges, you go shopping. Put on a credit card. You go to take in a Braves game. Uh, you go over to your friends on Friday night and have wine together and just kind of hang out, but you never talk about Christ. Matter of fact, I would say if y'all get together on a regular basis and you're never talking about Jesus, you, you, have, you have friendship, not fellowship. Let me tell you another challenge. So, so it's hard, you see, to make the Word of God relevant when here's a guy in a cave, he's crying out, and you're going, hey, great, what are we having for lunch this afternoon? Okay, so then, then there's another challenge. And I know you say, man, come on, get to the text. But I'm just, I want you to listen to the text. The other challenge is this. <clears throat> We never see anybody die. Uh, now, we have a person in our congregation who's dying now. And, uh, boy, if you really want to understand uh, what reality is, you go see that. I know some of the doctors see that fairly, fairly often. But it used to be 100 years ago, you didn't put your grandmother and your grandfather in a nursing home. Well, I'm not saying that's bad. Our, you know, we have a mother-in-law. My mother-in-law's in assisted care, and it's great. It's fantastic. And then her roommate, I mean, her, the lady across the hall died last week. Boom, she's gone. Boom, out the door. Don't see her anymore when I go up there. So 100 years ago, even the 7, 8, 9, 10-year-olds, they would go in when Uncle Frank that never got married and had nobody take care of him. He comes and lives with the family, and then he dies. And when he's dying, they all go in there. They would sing hymns. Or they would just pray. Or, or if they weren't a Christian family, they would just go in there and be with him when he died. And boy, are you talking about something that would get your attention? But now the statistics are, and I know this because my t- subject paper in seminary, uh, one of my major topics was death and dying. And basically it said that a person sees one, every 20 years one death, maybe. So what do we reduce the re- when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life? What do we reduce it to? A nice, quaint saying. And so what do we end up doing in our churches? We kind of preach to how you live in this life now and don't talk a whole lot about sin and death and the wages of sin is death. Okay? So, so now you say, okay, well, uh, why are you telling me this? Well, I come to a psalm today, Psalm 57. Let me tell you what he's going to do in Psalm 57. Kind of what he said in Psalm 56. Kind of what he said in Psalm 55. Kind of what he said in Psalm 54. Matter of fact, you start reading the Psalms and you go, wow, there's just kind of some repetition going on here. And thus is the problem in our culture is that we are not buying into or putting ourselves into this rhythm of beginning to lift our eyes up and see that which is eternal governing every single detail of your life.
Now, do you see that? Well, if life's good right now, no problem, right? But I especially want to address y'all who are struggling right now. In fact, just to give you one good application. Uh, Enzo, uh, I understand you're getting ready to go off the military. You're getting ready to be shipped. And uh, we love you and we pray for you. And, uh, but understand the storm last night. Anybody experienced the storm? I did. You did too, didn't you? It knocked a hole. It knocked a tree on your house, didn't it? And I'm sure you were rolling in the dough since you're in the military. So no problem taking care of that roof, right? Would y'all say that this morning he might have a little bit more? I need to hear, and Katie, I need to hear that God is in control. You need to believe that this morning. I want to tell you something. He's in control because you know what? It, that tree went down on your roof, you know, one by chance. And you see, as long as we're just floating along, okay, well, that's a long, would y'all say that's a long introduction? And some of you visiting going, oh, my God, I'll be done on time. I'd like for you, especially if, if life is spinning for you, to hear these words of encouragement from God's Word. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. And he'll put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. Children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I awake the dawn. And I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. And your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be, let, let your glory be over all the earth. Now this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, there are those who are here today who absolutely need to know your mercy. It could be those who uh, don't know Christ and they think that the gospel is what they do and what they perform meeting you halfway. I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause them to see that they need your mercy because they are incapable of saving themselves. And uh, Father, I pray for those who are believers uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would be with them who are in difficult times. And maybe, maybe their difficulty is uh, 
just their continual sin and repentance of the same sins. But Father, I pray that you would give them the power by your Spirit to understand a text that enables them to go from glory to glory the way we see King David doing. And Father, we pray for those who are believers who have kind of maybe fallen asleep. And so they're no longer singing one way or the other. They're just watching. They're not awake. But the storms of life by your providence can come upon them like that storm last night in a hurry. And so we pray that you would wake those who slumber today. And finally, Father, I pray for those whose hearts are fixed on anything other than Christ and him resurrected in the triune God. And I ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, Perhaps many of you went to summer camp. Uh, I had the privilege of going to summer camp. I was uh, actually a counselor at at a camp for the end of the privilege in high school. But if you've been to camp, camp would not be camp without a tetherball, would it? And, of course, they usually took the tetherball or the tetherball net, go, whatever you call it, with the pole, you know, the pole and the stick on the pole and the ball in the stick. And uh, they usually put it out by the dining halls, for what I can, I can tell, because most people ignored it. But when it's time to eat and, uh, you know, the people are sitting around waiting, they go play tetherball. And if you don't know anything about tetherball, uh, uh, you kind of hit the ball around, you beat it around, and it goes one side to the other, and you try to get it to go around. And you win if it goes around your side, right? And, uh, and of course, I was never very good at it, not, not, not because I'm not extremely athletic, because I really am, because I'm extremely short, and it doesn't help when you play tetherball. Um, and so, uh, so, the, 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 so you beat the ball around, and, uh, and, uh, but, but the ball was always tethered to that pole. It always had a course one way or the other. It went around. Unless it broke. And then it was obsolete. It made no, you know, you just have a pole with a string on the end of it, and there's the ball. It's under another force. It's under another gravity. And it's not attached. It's attached to something else. It probably rolled up underneath the tree somewhere. Nobody knew where the ball went. But it has a different gravity, a different thing that it is now attached to. Now, I know that's a simple illustration. But here's a $64,000 question for you this morning. And that is this. What are, what, are, what are you tethered to? What pole are you spinning around? The reality is that life doesn't take place in a vacuum, does it? Not for the kids. Kids have to make decisions about, y'all have to make decisions about what you're going to study and doing your grades and who you're going to play with and all this. But, but life, the reality is, that life doesn't take place in a vacuum. There's all these forces that are out there, right? Impacting us as to how we're going to respond to life. Now, the reality is that most of life goes on by what we call, the theologians call ordinary means. It's an ordinary means. God has ordained that you'd be here today. Did you get in a car and you drove in the car? And uh, you went to get gas. And, uh, but, of course, it's very important if you don't understand that God is sovereign over every single little detail like that. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the glory of God. And you don't understand that you're absolutely under the control and the sovereignty of God. 
You know, the mosquito that you slap at, and you're not looking at your cell phone, but because you slap at the mosquito in the car, you wreck your car. You can't pay for your car because that dang mosquito. Well, was that mosquito there by chance? Did, that, did, that, did, did the, the storm hit your house by chance? Or is God teaching you? Does he care about you? But you see, here's the the thing. If if you don't see God involved in all the ordinary things, like I get up, and this is my wife, and this is the salary I have, and I'm not as athletic as my brothers were, and this is how smart I am, and this is it. This is the limit that I have. If you don't see God involved in the ordinary things of life, that he is foreordained those little things, then what do you do when the extraordinary things come? Because you see, as long as you can pay your bills, as long as you're a self-sufficient person and you can do this, you think this is because you're smart. You think it's because you're pretty or, or uh, you're clever. But the fact of the matter is, everything that is in your life and everything that you do was predicated by things you had no choice in. God has set the boundaries, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the question. When all of a sudden life seems overwhelming to you and you don't have enough money and Enzo, uh, the military's not going to go, oh, okay, I'll tell you what, Enzo, it's okay, you don't have to be deployed. They're not going to say that, are they? But when things come into your life, may, and may, it might be your sin. It's overwhelming. And the consequences of it are the besetting sins that over and over and over again that so overwhelm you, you say that there really is no hope for me. Because if God is good, he can't like me. <laughs> and I probably deserve everything that's happening to me. Now, I want to say, if, if, if you're at a place right now where you're feeling, you're feeling overwhelmed, and by the way, if, if you're not there, you will be. Just come with me and visit Andy, and you're going to be there. And so it could very well be that if right now you are going through things that seem to be overwhelming to you, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. I don't know if I'm ever going to have a child. I don't think I can pay for my kids' education. I don't think my marriage is ever going to change. I don't think I'm ever going to change. Then let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this psalm is for you. But if life's good and everything's okay and ordinary means that you think you're in control of and you don't need God's mercy, you don't need to know that God's sovereign, then guess what, ladies and gentlemen? This sermon is probably going to sit out there. Now, here's the good news. After a long introduction is that I only have two points. But I think they're profound. Because what we see in David is a man who's a young man. I don't know, he might have been 22 or 3 years old at this time, maybe 25, I'm not sure. But this is early. His situation... Uh, is probably in uh, 1 Samuel 22, verse, uh, 1 Samuel 24, where he finds himself uh, 
in a cave. And so David's in the cave, and he's in trouble, and uh, he looks to the cave for refuge, and, uh, and then he begins to meditate. He finds space in the midst of all his trials and tribulations to think. You got it? To meditate. And, and so the, the two things to, say, to, to see in our text uh, today is uh, David's reflection what David thinks about. He thinks about the character of God, who God is. He stops and he thinks about it. Now, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you sat down? Now, I'm, I'm not saying none of you have. I'm sure some of you are probably going, Lord, I need to hear from you every single day. But if you're not that person, then, then uh, are you, what, what, what do you reflect upon? What? How are you going about the, the ordinary means? Because if you don't understand that God is ordaining these things, you're not thinking about that, then you know what? When, when all of a sudden that storm comes, just like those leaves that I was watching last night, just blowing off the trees, you're just going to be blown away, especially in the day of judgment. The wheat and the chaff. And the wheat has weight and it falls. And the chaff that has no weight, it just blows away in a moment. So David reflects. But the second thing to see is David's response after he reflects on the character of God. Okay? Now, so the, the first thing is uh, his reflection from the character of God. Uh, if you look at verse 4 and you look at verse 6, you, you kind of see that David is in trouble. There are those who are lying about him. There are those who are jealous of him. Saul was jealous of him. So there's a lot of misinformation about David. And then, of course, you see in verse 6, that there are those who are trying to set a trap for him. They're always trying to set a trap for him. Now, maybe you can't relate to that. So David's trying to process this. Wait a minute. Think about it. I mean, think, put yourself in David's shoes for a moment, if you could. Have you ever, have you ever yourself thought, hey, I've been, I've been right about this. Why am I being treated wrong? You ever done for some, something for somebody and end up getting mad at you for helping them? Come on, you've had that happen, haven't you? I'm trying to help this person. They're mad at me because I tried to help them. Didn't help them enough. So David is confused. He's a young man, okay? I've been trying to be faithful. I love Saul. And if you look throughout the, the time of David's life when he was being pursued by Saul, David had many times he could look at ordinary means and say, God has delivered him into my hands, Saul. And that's what his men said. God has delivered Saul into your hands, killing. And he said, shall I lift my hand up against the Lord's anointed? You say he made a right decision? Now, he made a lot of bad ones because he probably quit meditating. But he's thinking about his situation. And so he's in a cave of refuge. They can't find him there. But as David begins to, to meditate, he begins to say, you know, it's not this cave, but God is my refuge. I can rest in God. 
Now, just want to look at a couple of attributes. But here's what David needed to learn. Here's what you need to learn. David had to learn that the way to Zion, the way to the crown, was in the cave, it's in the wilderness. I mean, think about this. I heard somebody say, what if mankind were always happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time? Everybody, nobody ever had any problems. Do you realize how horrid we would already be? I mean, think about it as a teenager. You're a teenager. And you're kind of in, in between being a kid and being an adult. Have you ever, have you ever noticed, but maybe because of your insecurities, how selfish you are? I mean, I'm not trying to knock you. I'm not saying every teenager is that way. But you think about yourself all the time. And I need this, and Daddy, you won't buy me this, and you won't get this. And blah, blah. Now, imagine, teenager, if everybody in the world were like you. And everybody got what they wanted. There would be no beauty in this world. There would be no one that we could look at and say, that person makes sacrifices. They've given up everything. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want to be used of God, now a lot of you quit because it got hard. If you want to be used of God, do you think you don't have an enemy? If you want to, like when you go to work, you go to work and you want to be salt and light. You guard your mouth. You guard everything you say. And when somebody's negative about somebody else, you go, hey, well, you know what? I get what you're saying, but think about all these good things. Let me tell you, if you want to do downtown ministries, you want to teach a Sunday school class, you want to be involved as a deacon, or you want to be involved in women's ministry and take, you know, plan the, the conference or whatever it may be, let me tell you what, you will be attacked. But if you don't do any of that stuff, if you're, like, if you're like bored with your Christian life, then you know what? No sense in doing that. And there's, there's, no, there's no reason that Satan himself should even begin to, to wake you a little bit. It's in service to God that we must learn who God is. That we must be disciplined in our lives. And whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens. Not just because you sin, but he, he's like the, 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 the coach says, run another lap. No, run another lap. So, so there are just basically two attributes I want you to see that are here. There are many that are here. But what is the first one? What does he do in verse 1? And I want you, if, the, if the, this morning you need this in your life, notice what he says. Be merciful to me, O God. O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storms of destruction pass. At the heart of God... And his attribute is his mercy. You know, when the text says, Oh, may your glory be extended to the heavens, the glory of God, the glory of God. You know what the glory of God is? When Moses said, Lord, reveal to me your glory. You know what he says in Exodus chapter 34? That I, the Lord, the Lord God... I'm a merciful God and gracious and slow to anger. 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Are you guilty? You have no idea how guilty you are. I have no idea how guilty I am. I mean, I've been a Christian for 40-something years. I've been a minister for 30 years. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't I be more merciful? When my wife married me, she married me because she thought I had certain attributes, right? Isn't that what you look at in a person? But you want to go, ladies, if you want to marry a guy or if guys you want to marry a girl, let me tell you, what you want to do is know their attributes. What are they like? And you know what my wife has had to discover about me? I'm not exactly what she signed up for. But you know what? That's why you take vows. Because you don't know what the heck you're getting into. And guess what? I learned that about my wife. You ever heard the seven-year itch? I mean, you shouldn't leave your wife or husband at seven years. But it's kind of, oh, seventh year. Oh, that's who they really are. (laughs) And that's not going to change. And you know what we need more than anything? You know what you always need from your husband? Not him telling you, you know, you ought to put the socks in the drawer this way. And uh, you didn't vacuum up underneath the here right really good. Let me tell you what your wife needs from you. She needs mercy. She needs to know you're going to love her no matter what. Hey, wives, you know what your husband needs from you? The same thing. But that's God, isn't it? And so David has space to think about a situation. And he says, God, I know you're merciful. And so in the psalm before it, he speaks as a bird who would, wings would fly away. That I could, oh, that I might mount wings and fly away from this situation. And now he is resolved to be under the wing of God in the midst of the storm. He's not leaving. You got it? But here's the second thing. Second thing is he's sovereign. The Almighty God. Let me tell you why you should put your rest in him. What good would he be if he's merciful but he's not powerful? He'd be like the old grandfather that has to, you know, had to adopt his grandkids and, and he's 80 years old and the kids are running around and the grandfather forgives them all the time because he can't get out of the chair to discipline them. He's very loving and he's kind, but you know what? The kids are running circles around him because he's not able to train that child. The Almighty sits in heaven and he governs over all things. And he is able to say. Is that what our sex says? David says, I cry out to you because you have the power to save. Now, what kind of salvation are you talking about? Your soul? Well, yeah, that, because you can't save yourself. Trust me. You can't save yourself. Christ has come into the world when you're helpless and without hope. He came for you because you cannot save yourself. But God saves us from all kinds of things we don't even know about. He saves you from stupid business decisions. Have you anybody, don't raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. Have, I, have you ever made a stupid financial decision? Like investing in pet trees or pet rocks? I never did that. But you see, God is sovereign over that little boy's life 
little jack up here on the front row. And he's, he's sovereign over every one of you and your circumstances. Do you have space to think about that? Well, that's for, I mean, he meant to. There, there could be so much more to say about this text. But notice he acts once he reflects. And I'll tell you what the church needs today. It doesn't need more, uh, it doesn't need more strategies. It doesn't. I mean, frankly, what, I mean, if your strategy is to grow your church, but everybody in your church is about that deep spiritually, all you're going to do is just to have a herd of people that Jesus had when he fed the 5,000 and they wanted to make him a king, and he, he'd always shoo him away, wouldn't he? You know, what, you know what the church need? You know what the people of Athens need from Redeemer right now? Men and women in this room who begin to repent of not finding space to meditate upon Almighty. Upon Jesus Christ. And all and the sovereignty of God. And some of you need to know that. There's numbers of people in here with cancer. And you need to know that God is in control. But you see, when you begin to meditate upon it, or you go, well, you know what? I don't have cancer, but I have a disease that's never going to go away. Don't see yourself that way. Do you understand there's a future for you? And that future is that you're united to Christ, and there'll be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more pain. And your body will be a resurrected body. Live in that reality. Act off that. You say, as long as you think you're in control, you're not in control, but you don't need mercy. And you're not going to stop and think. You're just going to look at your cell phone all the time. You're going to, matter of fact, I was reading a book that said, yeah, ministers are pretty bad about not really getting up and reading the Word. They're kind of reading the newspaper and the cell phones. And, you know, when I make my coffee... I'm kind of looking at the news for a minute, five, ten. I'm like, you know what? I need to put that thing down. So, so how does he respond to this? Just a couple of things and we've got to quit because it's time to do communion. But notice when he kind of settles himself. Now, uh, and by the way, you, you're not just justified by faith. You have to live by faith. You have to start acting on these things, right? Then I'm going to go do something. Because God is going to provide, even though I'm a loser. But notice, notice what he said. Just, just a couple things. A, your heart is fixed. Notice verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. You know what it means to have a heart that's steadfast is fixed? When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. He's not talking about nice, clean people. He's talking about a heart that's undivided. You know why your heart's undivided? It's because you know his mercy. Nobody will love you like this, right? And if you haven't figured that out yet, you're tethered to your wife or your husband or your friends, and they're going to let you down even if they die and let you down because they're finite. Notice it's a heart that sings. I will sing and make melody. Sometimes we sing the blues, but we sing. And I love, you know, and I'm not an artist, but I love artists. I love hearing that song sung, it, it, right? The, Sometimes you're singing the blues. Sometimes you're rejoicing, but you're singing. You're not just stoic. We do not slumber through life. Awake my glory, which means my tongue. Awake, awake, you're awake, you're awake, you wake up. He says he is waking up the dawn. Why? Because he's awake to the reality of who's governing the day. You wake up and you go, I bring in the dawn because my God is sovereign over all things. 
You're thankful in the presence of God. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. You know what? When you're as a believer, and if you're a believer, now you can be a member of the visible church, but you don't know Jesus anymore than the man in the moon. And if you don't, you know what? You're not singing in the congregation. You're not a blessing to your brother and sister. You're a drag. Why? Because you're, you're operating out of your flesh. You don't have to be that way. You can just come to God and he can be merciful and he'll love you. And then you'll start singing. And then people in the congregation will go, I know that person's a believer. Matter of fact, I tell you, these little kids, they can probably tell you who the believers are. You know why? Because you probably talk to them. But you're singing. Uh, Annie Mae Brooks, uh, this woman that lived in her home, uh, she, was a, she was a Christian godly woman who never had anything, but she sang all the time. She She rejoiced. And it had an impact on me. Well, I got to close. Notice what he says, verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know what his glory is? Here's his glory. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, that you should have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Who being by nature in the, the very form of God... Uh, did not cling, but made himself nothing. In becoming a servant, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That is the glory of God. Is that not? His humiliation? But then it says, and at the knee of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his humiliation, now he's exalted. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what's going on in your life. Part of this life is to be humiliated, not humiliated. It is to humble ourselves that he can do what he will because he's merciful. And then one day you can suffer and enter into the suffering of other people because you will be lifted up with him in that great day. Is that a great, is that a good news? Unless you just want to live with this world, but you're not going to be here forever. And God brings these things in your life to say, look to him. If it never changes your marriage, at least you'll both be raised one day, and you can rejoice in that. Well, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the triune God, the true and living God. And Lord, uh, there is a curtain that's being lifted over our culture through our, uh, our, uh, our pleasures, our uh, affluence, our triviality, our cell phones, our iPads, our computers. Father, would you please be merciful and pull back that curtain, even today for someone who doesn't know you, who needs you to forgive them of their sin. Lord, would they trust in you? Father, we thank you for your mercies that are new every day. I pray for those who are hurting right now. I pray for uh, uh, Katie and, and Enzo as they need to get their house fixed today, that you would watch over them. Pray for all those who are hurting today. Lord, that they know that your glory is that you're loving kindness, you're loving merciful. Ah, Father, may their hearts be filled with that reality. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.